You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, how nice it is to hear from you so late in the season. I guess. Wait, I'm, I'm not going to do an interview with a blank screen that says Michael Pincus on it. I want to <laughs> see what he looks like. I am trying to get a picture up there, but it's not working. Good God. So, so Michael, I think we've finally crossed over in the world of our podcast where we we have a celebrity joining us. Well, we've always had celebrities joining us in, in the wake of winemakers, but we actually have a Canadian legend with us. <laughs> what? Olivia, see you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You picked her out again. Uh, we are joined by uh, Terry David Mulligan. And Michael, you and I have said this off the microphone, but not on the microphone, that um, we're fairly certain he is the only other Canadian wine scribe who has been doing a podcast longer than you and I on the topic of wine. Yeah. Yeah, he has been. Yeah. At least as far as I can figure, he has been. I've been doing some research on Canadian wine podcasts. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much you beat us by, Terry, but you beat us by a bit. I I, um, I, I think it's been 17 years. Here's what ha- here's how, the, how it started for me. Um, I was doing Hollywood and Vines with Jason. And we'll, well, I know we're going to go back and, and start that story in a second. But um, we had come off the road. Uh, we'd been in, in uh, Oregon and um, Washington State, um, uh, Charles Smith in and, and Walla Walla, and, and down to California. We came back, and, and um, I said to Meg, I like the people around wine. I like the people who make wine. I like the people who are around the people who make wine. Let's go check out the Okanagan because we were living in right on the west coast of Vancouver, and um, uh, we we went we went up to Penticton. I was uh, at a broadcasting convention. I was doing a speech of some kind or a panel, and Meg was flipping through the paper and saw this house and went, <clears throat> "Look at this! This farmhouse has been moved to this location a hundred years ago, and it's fantastic. And there's a barn, which is all we needed. We needed a barn for a studio." And as soon as I saw the barn, as soon as we drove around it, I went, that's it. And we uh, we uh, ended up um, just following our wine hearts uh, to the Naramata bench and stayed there four and a half years. And when I got there, by the way, and when I got there, there was no one. I was shocked to discover this is a 2007. That there was no one, uh, daily. No, there was no weekly wine show on radio in the Okanagan. And I'm going, wait, wait a minute, hold on a second. Every one of these stations went to the CRTC when they got their license and said, we will reflect the, the, everything that's around us. Well, they were reflecting the beaches and the peaches and all that stuff and nothing to do with wine. It wasn't glamorous. It was no, no jam to it. And I just said, we, I, I'm going to, that's crazy. And I started this show live for the first two years, except, People kept not showing because they were on tractors. You couldn't hear what they were saying. <laughs> room, whatever. So uh, anyway, we eventually ended up recording it and taking it down to an hour, and that's what we have. Sorry, that's the story. So, so your podcast actually started out uh, as a terrestrial broadcast. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and Don Schaefer was running all those stations up in the Okanagan then, good friend of mine. And he said, do you want to do that show you, you talked about? I said, yeah, let's do it. And so I had to be in that studio at uh, 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning with um, 
Harry McWatters and other people. So was it considered a podcast at that time? No, it wasn't. It was, I don't listen, somebody was said to me, you're doing a podcast. I said, no, I'm broadcasting. I said, well, well no, that's what you're doing. Well, what's the difference? Uh, I, I don't know. And I still, frankly, guys, I still don't know. I understand that a broadcast is not a podcast because that's that's out in the air and you can hear it near Fargo, 49 Fargo half ton. But, or the podcast just is on the internet. And, and I'm still doing what I do. I honestly haven't been groomed to be a podcaster. I'm, a, I'm, I'm what I always was, a broadcaster. You know, I, I think the number one difference, I, I think it just has to do more with con- like the specific content. Like I come from a news talk background, and it's something that I learned at a long time. Broadcasting is that like taking an on-air topic, like crapping all over the news, talking about the news, talking about like live news as it's happening, and moving it to a podcast format just doesn't work. And also, like the formatics are the formatics are a little different. But I mean, doing doing a show about wine and talking about wine, I think the formatics are a little different in general. Where like it's it's hard to get into like full-on radio broadcast mode when you're talking to guys on tractors right well yeah but but full-on radio broadcast mode requires that voice that annoying voice that uh, <laughs> that none of us want to use except or admit to but i i was never that guy and the reason why i couldn't get along with radio and radio couldn't get along with me was because i wanted to just be myself and talk into a microphone and they wanted me to talk like that and i just went i i that's not me they also wanted me to change my name it was too bulky so what did, what did they want you to be? <laughs> Brad somebody. I was Eric Michaels, which is just taking my middle name oh, and my a, first name it, and switching them. That's a good one. Um, yeah. And I spent the past like 10 years working with Jim Richards in Toronto. And the story he tells, he had a program director that wanted to change his names to either Jim Beam or Jack Daniels. So clearly a program director that... Uh, <laughs> they, they, had well been ta- they have been taken by every third announcer in rock radio. No by the way, I'm, I'm very pleased to see someone actually know how to uh, work a microphone as a professional. But I know what I'm going to get you for Christmas. I'm going to get you a windsock. A nice red <laughs> windsock. I'm I'm saving my pennies to hopefully get like a sure SM7B to up my up my mic game, but uh, no, I you're right. I do need a good windsock on this. My peas are really a little It's good to see somebody work a microphone. Nice. All right. So the reason why we're having you on the podcast, apart from the fact that, you, first off, I guess before we get into the real reason why we have you here, what is your podcast? How can people listen to it? Uh, just because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening to this that probably haven't heard of your podcast. Uh, it's, it is, in fact, uh, Tasting Room Radio, which is the, the, the title that was always in just behind my left ear. Uh, it just made sense, Tasting Room Radio. Uh, it, and it actually spins off from the thinking of Moses Neimer and Much Music, uh, Much Music, uh, City TV. Uh, he, it was, he made his entities as simply understandable as possible. And I wanted Tasting Room Radio. Nobody else had it. And it made sense to me, and I just stuck with it. And um, and it's been uh, fifteen years now. Fifteen years uh, we've been doing this, and and I just it was such fun. I was already I was still doing radio. I've been for for twenty seven years now. I've been doing Mulligan Stew on the CKUA radio network. That's all over Alberta. I went to do a story on them years ago. And I realized that this was the story I heard. This was the station I heard when I was a Mountie 
uh, in Red Deer. And I loved this station because they would play crazy stuff like Led Zeppelin next to uh, uh, Gene Autry. Uh, it just d- didn't make sense. And I just thought, what a, what a ride that is. So when I, I finally re- discovered them and I did this story on them, I said, if we can figure out how to logistically do this, I'd love to do a, a show for you. Well, what would you do? Rock and roll. Well, we don't play rock and roll. You're well, you're missing the boat, aren't you? And I don't, and I don't play rock and roll. I play Taj Mahal and Ry Cooter and BBK. I play all that stuff, all that stuff. And, and that was 27 years ago. Did he just say he was a Mountie? To this day, I do that every Saturday from four to six Pacific, uh, five to seven mountains, seven to nine Eastern. I sit here and, and play everything, everything. Do you know David Marsden? Yep. It's amazing just like having that out of the box thinking how that can really make what comes out of a transmitter really interesting. And like, it's it's just, it's always really, really inspiring to work with people who have that out of the box. And Wayne Webster's another, a shout out to another one where I love talking to Wayne, uh, who's now at Boom 97.3 in Toronto. You know, you can just see him in his office around December when the spot load lightens up just to be like, oh, now I can play the six minute version of this or the seven minute version of that. If I can read this, uh, are you still with us, Michael? Yes. Yeah, I'm still, I'm having a hell of a time getting the camera to work and everything. Buy him a lamp. I'm still God. in the dark. Get a light on his face, for God's sake. No, it's okay. He's got a face for radio. You don't need to see his face. He's got a face for radio. I just wanted, to, I just want to tell you that this is the, this is the, the first hour of my Christmas show, uh, Christmas Eve. It goes like this. Uh, I've got Walk Off the Earth, uh, Bahamas, Avi Z, uh, Z Avi, uh, Annie Lennox, uh, brothers and sisters of gospel group, a- Amy Helen, the Wood Brothers, uh, White Horse, uh, Albert King, Eric Clapton, the Pogues, uh, Bruce Coburn, and then hour two is Christmas and the Round with Barney Bentall and and Jim Burns and Bill Henderson from Chilliwack and Roy Forbes and Rock and Roy Forbes and and the Odds and that's what that's what I that's how it goes. I just love how excited you are about that. <laughs> I haven't heard about the Odds in so long. Jeez, All right. Around? So this is the longest way of saying the real reason why we're having Terry David Mulligan on the show today. I have we got an email from Olivia Sue, who uh, let us know that there is a new wine from the Okanagan Valley, and it is called Q and A. It's a premium wine project by Hollywood actor director Jason Priestley, winemakers cut proprietor Michael Moz, or sorry Mikhail Mosny, and broadcaster Terry David Mulligan. And what we have in our hands is. Uh, one of my favorite things about BC wine, which is the um, the Bordeaux-style varieties. Um, I've taken one sip of this, and I think I will unpack what I'm about to say. And, and Terry David, you can tell me if I'm wrong. First off, the big problem we have with BC wine in Ontario is lack of access to the market. Um, sure. It's a lot of the big guys who are down here. And there's a lot of variety of what you can get in BC things. They do well. Syrah, we don't see a lot of down here. And all yeah. the cooler climate varieties. But the thing I love about the BC ones that do make it down here, which are generally Bordeaux-style varieties, is how the Okanagan Valley seems to have found a way to walk that tightrope between old-world sensibilities and new-world sensibilities. It's yeah. I don't think you can walk into BC and be like, they're looking to Bordeaux for homage, and they're yeah. trying to learn from that. Just like you can't say, okay, these guys are a bunch of Californians trying to do California, where... You know, if you talk talk about Niagara, the great wines in Niagara are firmly drawing their inspiration from the old world. Yes, yes. And there's a belief system. You believe in what you're doing because you've learned your lessons along the way. You've listened to those who are trying to uh, make this wine better. 
that's why you hire consultants. You hire consultants to say, okay, you need to make a left turn with this wine, all right, and listen to them, right? So, um, I mean, we we this this first of all, the the vineyards are at Quail's Wayside, which is just below the Fairview Golf Course and Fairview Wines uh, in, on the Golden Mile. Now, Bill Eggert sold Fairview Wines, but he was known for doing red blends called like the bear and bucket of blood. And really like you knew you were going to get banged over the head. It's just below that. And that's, this is, that's where the red wine comes from. Uh, the, uh, Sh- uh, Shahal as well, the Shahal vineyard, which is, um, uh, at district wine village. Um, this is 45% cab, 35 Merlot, uh, 38 Merlot rather 13 cab franc and a 4% petite Verdot. And when, J- when Michael asked Jason and I, what we wanted the blend to be. We said, well, we're both big Cab Franc fans. So see if you can bring the Cab Franc forward. We tried that blend and we passed on it for this one. That's how much we liked this. We were ready to, to welcome the, um, uh, the Cab Franc blend that we have. I still have the bottle in the back while the writing on it. Um, but, but this one was hands down. This was okay. And imagine how, and then Michael just said, I'm going to send you a, a, a case have one bottle a month, taste it, make your notes and let's talk. And so we tasted those 12 wines and it got better and better. And we could see where it was going. This wine is still tightly wound and young, but it will, it will be really good down the road. So, so the question is, uh, as everybody always uh, seems to ask us, how was the vintage in 2020 in the Okanagan? I can tell you what it was like here in Ontario, but, you guys are just a little bit further away than I, and it's easier to find, you know. Depending on who you talk to, depending on who you talk to, it was all, it was either one of the greatest or it was difficult. And, and that early, early springs, the, the cold, wet, early springs, uh, what you really, really, really need, of course, is that heat to come, those heat units to show up. And they did uh, just in time. Uh, there was some uh, smoke in the area from fires, although they have, done a great job in clearing up the area around the Okanagan Hills, taking all that uh, um, uh, quick spark bush away. And, uh, and it's better now. It's better now. We, the, the, there was nothing more uh, difficult than the growing year we went through this year, Michael. It was ridiculously cold. And, and they, they were about two to three weeks away from losing their entire uh, growing year. So we're talking 2022. Yeah, twenty twenty. I just as reference, uh, yep. uh, twenty twenty was just a good year. It was a good year. It, so it was uh, it was a great year for grapes, but a bad year for people. Yeah. Yes. You're stealing that from <laughs> me. It literally says that See, on the. We, when I was doing my interviews, I said, you know, the crops don't care, the vineyards don't care. Yeah. They don't no. care what's going on out there. Just take care of them, and they'll take care of you. Yeah. Very true. It, it is remarkable how twenty twenty. Well, twenty twenty was a great growing year down in down in Niagara as well, but we've talked about that quite a bit on the podcast. I guess the, the next question I have before we get into the taste of the wine is how do you make the leap from wine journalist, wine personality, wine host to decide to start putting your name on a bottle and getting involved uh, in making the wine? Okay. Well, first, first of all, it starts with Jason. Um, we, we knew each other from acting. Um, we would sit uh, opposite each other. And when, when, when casting used to be, 
in hotels and motels where you would they would book a room and you'd sit outside once you put your back against one wall and some guy who was going to read it with you would be in the other and so that priest and i would look at each other and I, I would be playing the father he'd be playing the son uh he would get the role i wouldn't uh and then he went to los angeles and became 90210 uh, and we stayed in touch and then the canucks did a, a fishing derby and we we were doing a charity event we ended up uh, in a Boston whaler out in the uh, the salt chuck um, for three days. We fished, and all he talked about was wine. That's all he talked about. Not fishing, not hockey, not nothing but wine well, and food. And uh, he hooked me totally. And I, I came to realize that he had some 5,000 bottles at home. Wow. He, with his money, considerable money from uh, 90210, he would go to wine auctions and buy somebody's seller because he had the time to be there at two o'clock in the afternoon when no one else was there and buy it uh anyway so with that's how we got started and then we thought well listen he said to me you know you i see you get you get records at your front door every day yes i said yes uh, when we when they used to send albums um he said so they sent them to you because you're doing a radio show imagine if we did a wine show imagine what would happen we'd get wine delivered to the front anyway so off we went and um and that's what happened we did three years of it and in 2010 we were uh we were doing a year two i think of hollywood and vines we were in the okanagan i think we're at Incomeep, somewhere in that area and uh michael mosley and his wife martina were in slovakia he had a boutique winery small but he was making wines and and liqueurs for slovakia's big wine group there and they saw what was going on in the okanagan and they saw how pristine it was no pollution and they said let's go check that out and they they came to the okanagan they went up and down the valley for a week they went back and in 2012 they moved they sold everything and moved to oliver uh in 2015 uh he started winemakers cut literally within years he would winemakers cut was on the shelf because he knew what he was doing and then in 2017 in Victoria, I, I did an interview with him along with 20 others at a, at a poor. And he said, you have no idea why I'm here, do you? I said, no. He said, I, we saw you. We loved what we saw. We came to the Okanagan. We moved. And now we're making wine, make, winemakers cut because of what you guys showed us on Hollywood Vines. And we became instant friends. And then a couple of years later, he said, well, listen, I've got the makings of a Bordeaux blend here. Why don't we do make a wine together? And here we are, Q&A. Now, is this something you plan to release every year or is this like a one-off type? No, this is a, he's already made year two. Oh, got it. Okay. We're, we're already constructing year two. Um, and, you know, Jason was one of the principal uh, owners, investors, in Black Hills, the makers of Nota Bene. And so he knows his big reds and he knows how that wine business works. But it's really weird for me to be on the other side of the fence, you guys. I got to tell you, if you ever find yourself in this spot, you'll, you, it's, it's kind of wobbly to all of a sudden be, uh, well, your, your name's on the label. It's kind of weird. I'm 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 on the other side. That's the other reason I wanted to talk to you about this. In uh, yeah. in 2015, I started um, the ADX Wine Company. We made uh, we made a batch of Nouveau because, frankly, I had a night where I drank way too much wine with another winemaker in Niagara, and then uh, promptly proceeded to lose about seven thousand dollars that year. And uh, 
we had to find a way to make the make the money back. But I mean, that's the thing too, though, is it's just it's like exactly like you said, like it's weird being on the other side of the on the other side of the label, but also you know, I just I needed to see how hard it was. Um, not not that I'm saying any part of it is is easy, but like just having control and, and seeing what the were, challenges. Were you a negotiant? Did you do do did you buy someone's uh, fruit? Yes, we're buying fruit. So we're we're negociant manipulant. So we're not uh, we're not dealing with the uh, with the grape growing, but we do work to work with grape growers of like mind. Have Have you met or talked to a Brad Royale? Have not met or talked to a Brad Royale yet. And Swish, that's what he that's that's his label, and that's what he does. But he's he's buying he's buying fruit from all over the world, South Africa and whatever. Uh, I, uh, you you guys should get together and have a conversation. Well, that sounds like what that. Uh, Thomas Batchelder was doing. Well, huh? but actually, Thomas Batchelder was actually going out to the Okanagan. Going, yeah. oh, sorry, was going out to Oregon. Was going out to uh, to Burgundy. Here's uh, the thing. Here's the thing. If I can, if I, I got, a, I have so many things going through my mind. <laughs> if I have a chance to influence Michael, Michael Mosney, I'm going to get him to do a field blend because I heard a story the other day. I'll, I'm going to do. I can't wait to talk to whoever this was. I got to follow it back. Instead of going out and uh, and buying a, a field with a with various uh, uh, varietals uh, grown on it and gathering it together. He's planting his own fields as a field blend. He's getting cuttings from all of the people that he wants to. And, he, and you know, a couple of years down the road, he will have grown his flea, field blend from the roots and soil up. I can't, I love the idea and I love a field blend. This is not a field blend. This is, this is a Bordeaux uh, via Oliver, the Golden Isle. And, um, and it's a baby step. It's one first step. You know, like, for example, Andre, when you tasted that wine of yours for the first time, were you harsh on it? Or did you did it roll? Did you love it? Did you did you were you looking forward to year two? Um. Well, like I said, the first time we made wine, we made Nouveau. I, I was yeah. I was happy with how it turned out. I mean, it well, served it's, it's, right. it served its purpose. But I mean, now that we've been around for a while, I'm hoping that we can cut our teeth on Chardonnay in Niagara. And the first Chardonnay that we made was in 2017. Okay. Um. One of our barrels was faulted. Michael's going to probably jump on me for that. It was no, little... no, I've, I've said enough, but you did make a faulty wine, but go ahead. So there was a bit of, there was a bit of Brett in it, but I mean, at the same time, it's just like, I know what the Chardonnays in the region I like are. I know what the Chardonnays from Europe that I like are, and it's aspirational and it's just, it feels like we haven't even come close to it yet. Ter- Terry, David, for you making, um, making a wine like this though, like you mentioned Nota Bene. Was there were there any other wines in the region that were aspirational for you that you were just like this is this is what the aspiration well, I mean, is? as I mentioned anything from Fairview Cellars um okay. they just, they oh man they make great big banging reds uh and beautifully done and Eggert sold he he as as Bill Eggert uh, told us on a couple of occasions I said did you teach the winemaking college uh, the winemaking course at the local college he said yes but I didn't tell them everything he had secrets of growing his uh, big reds that uh, that he took with him. I'm sure, but I, I love uh, their reds. I love the uh, um, I love the reds from uh, um, Moon Cursor right around the corner uh, from Incomeep. Um, all those guys up and down the uh, Vanessa and the Similkamine, Similkamine, the Similkamine reds have my full and complete attention. Uh, and that whole valley, by the way. Uh, is shale it comes straight down it's it's hard they break 
all the machinery necessary to plant vines. They are you have to you have to spend a lot of dough because you're going to break a lot of tools driving with backhoes and stuff into the ground. But but the result is an incredible uh, uh, series of vineyards. Vanessa, uh, all of those guys up and down, Orofino, all those guys, and and I'm probably saying some names that you haven't seen on shelves there. But before we leave this discussion, we will have a discussion about where is Ontario in BC and where is BC in Ontario. Just quickly, just to get caught up because. I, ha- I have some thoughts on that. So, I'm looking uh, forward to talking about that because that's uh, I, a, a gripe you and I have both written about publicly for the past little while. Sorry, Michael, you can hop in now. I uh, so I get to see some of those those labels. I don't get to see a lot of them. I, I yep. judge at the All Canadian Wine Championships, so I get to see some of the BC wines uh, from most of the uh, uh, producers you have mentioned. Um, sadly, obviously, being on a on a tasting panel, you don't get to taste everything. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it really is and, and continues to be a shame that we, we can't get a lot of those great BC wines, uh, here in Ontario. And uh, I guess, I guess, Terry, the, the question that I would have for that, is it because there is such a limited production or is it, or is it the laws of the land that really stop us from, from getting those? To quote Charlie Pilateri, you're a bunch of homers. You drink your own juice. You don't want anything to do with ours. You just, you just drink BC. That's all you do. Well, we do. He's right in that respect. Um, um, we we do, and and Ontario does the same. You you drink local because you not see, as much, not as much. Uh, we do because yes. we're real. We realize all of us that we are blessed to have underneath our nose a wine growing climate and region that uh, is seems to be. Um, uh, favored. By the way, there is a breaking news story today, guys. You've been busy, but let me tell if you didn't know, I'm in the Cowichan Valley now. I'm in Mill Bay. Behind me is um, uh, 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 Unsworth, right? Purchased by the Jackson family from Jackson Triggs. Mm-hmm. From, from Kendall Jackson. Kendall Jackson, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, wrong. wow. That is, that is pretty big news, actually. So they, got, they got purchased uh, two years ago. This morning, it was announced that Blue Grouse, right down the road from me, also was purchased by the Jackson family of Napa Sonoma. Two now, two wineries in the Cowichan Valley are being um, are, are owned and will be shaped by the monies and the smarts of the Jackson family. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there's a story going on right underneath my nose. And I'm glad to be right here right now watching this unfold. It, that's a story that broke just today. Is, is there uh, a lot of investment going into Okanagan Valley from outside? Well, there, other- there is in the Okanagan. Oh, absolutely. And and most and some, most of it are the like the Mission Hills and the uh, our terrace. They're buying up the, the wine, the wineries, and the juice that they need to to further their productions. Um, uh, some of the wine wineries uh, simply are not handed off to another generation of the family because the kids aren't interested. But for the most part, they're they're being gobbled up at a at a at a at an an interesting rate. Some would say alarming rate. Anyway, and this one. But the thing about the Jackson family is they don't want to come in and just change everything. They're going to keep everybody in place. They're going to make their wines. They're going to like what what they did with with Dunsworth. They planted another hundred acres. No, no, fifty. They, they bought 300. They, they planted about 50 or 60 of, of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And, and they're not going to, everybody is still in place. Everybody's still making the wines that was there before they bought it. Same thing with Blue Grouse. But what they do is they fly 
some of their uh, consultants up here and do soil testing and and do and 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 they're absolutely going to make the Cowichan Valley better, much better. Interesting. I, I mean, that's one thing where if we're talking about like it sounds like what's happening in BC. Um, there's people who think there's money to be made in the industry. You don't buy a winery unless there's a way for you to put a few dollars in your pocket. In Ontario, it almost feels a little stagnant. Michael, would you say that that's a fair thing to say? Like, we haven't seen a lot of uh, of money going in since the days of uh, uh, of the uh, Asian uh, uh, purchase for ice wine. Yeah, um, and obviously when... with the relations with China still being a little bit frosty, um, you know uh, that industry hasn't really picked up steam since the whole situation with the with the Michaels. And, um, um, I mean, in terms of like larger companies coming in and buying, like, yeah, we have the Arteras in the region and finally it feels like Artera has made some strategic hires in improving the quality of those legacy wineries, Jackson Triggs and Inniskillen in Ontario. But, um, you well, it's, not about like the, they, it's not like they're buying up wineries like crazy. No, but I mean, but and, I mean, we do have a problem. With, I don't, with, I don't think they're cha- wineries aren't changing hands. Although yeah. if you, if you go into, uh, some of the websites that, have wineries for sale every winery seems to be for sale it's just you know who's willing to to come out and match the price and and pay it at the moment our government isn't very friendly to wineries let's be honest yeah uh, can, I say, can i take that one step further uh, you know I, I i did offer myself for arrest by the rcmp on the alberta bc border uh, years ago um and they didn't the, my, my my mountie friends didn't take me up on it um, they didn't, but they took some guy out in uh, on the East Coast. Yeah, well, he was hauling beer in his truck, in his van or whatever. Yeah, beer and wine very, and the whole thing. Yeah, it wasn't very glamorous. Uh, anyway. He didn't he was, call anybody. That's the thing. They just caught him on their own, right? Like, you I ended up calling him, people. He got a hold of me and said, do you want to have a cup, cup of coffee before you go? I said, sure. I said, are you going to meet me at the border? No. Are you going to, are you going to arrest me in Lake Louise? No. Where do you want to be in jail? I'm not going to jail. I'm going, I'm going to the Banff Wine Festival. And I'm taking wine with me, so and we and it was it was good. It was okay, and the, thank God the, uh, the the press showed up, the media showed up, and told the story. And it, one thing led to another. And where are we today? We're still we're talking about why don't we see your your, your really fine wines from Ontario, NBC, and vice versa. Now we've got with Q and A, we've got uh, thirty stores uh, from uh, Vintage West. We've got uh, twenty stores from Coastal Craft. Uh, we're going to roll out in Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan. Wow! Uh, shortly, uh, early spring actually, um, and uh, Atlantic Canada, early spring. Nothing from Ontario. Correct, because Ontario is going to find is going to watch this whole project, see if it makes any uh, any money for everybody else, and then they'll hop on board. The LCBO could be a leader in this, and they just sit on their hands and do nothing. And I'm not just talking about your wine, Terry. They do it with everything. They were the last. They were the last board to pick up Fusion. Like every other board picked it up oh. years ago when it was, you know, seven dollars a bottle, and people were buying it by, you know, three or four cases at a time. The the, the LCBO was the last uh, last well, board and, to pick up that wine. And well, and that's compounded. See how it would do in the rest of Canada. But I mean, that's it. But that's also compounded from the fact that we still have these archaic laws where domestic products are treated like exports. And um, you know, now that I'm a little older and wiser in the industry, it does drive me nuts that it's literally this political chess game where the wine industries in this country are being batted around like pawns in these larger trade disputes. But as you know, Andre, it's a pipeline of money, and we're, 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 anything that we do would 
anything that upsets the pipeline of money is as as well looked at. Well, looked. I don't think it does upset the pipeline. Every government is still going to get their 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 exactly. two or three or four cents. <laughs> Right, like if you buy the wine in British Columbia, British Columbia is you know even though the shipping comes to Ontario, British Columbia still gets their money. money and the same the thing in Ontario, and it's a farm product. Come on, that's it. Cheese and go. See, milk that's that's that is the I think that is the big question where we just still just have these archaic prohibition era laws. Like, don't get me wrong, I I am happy that my wine is taxed, Terry David. I'm sure you're happy that your wine is taxed. Like, alcohol does do a lot of damage to society. But let's face it, the people who are going to spend $50 on a bottle of Q&A are not the people who realistically have the big problems with alcohol. And I'm not saying that that's one good thing or another. It's an, it's, yeah. It is an agricultural product. And when we're talking about the top end of the market, these are not the products that are causing the problems on society. Meanwhile, the LCBO is more than happy to sell, you know, very affordable bottles of high alcohol malt beer um not to overgeneralize or over yeah. um target any particular segments of the market but it's just like it feels like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth where you know you're you're more than happy to talk about the damages that alcohol does to society so, but at the same time you're really responsibility and that's it that's what the C in, in, in control anyways I I know that was a little bit of a, a soapbox there but we do need to have a what, what I and I, I just want to say it one more what just one more thing about this like, I know it went all the way to the Supreme Court. It really, like, like the guy from out east, I can't remember his name. At the time, I could, I, I Jerry remember Como. his name. Jerry Como. Jerry Como. So he, Perry Como, you said? Jerry no. Como. Uh, so Jerry was, was, you know, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and, and, and everybody was pretty convinced, considering every other lower court said, yeah, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this. And the Supreme Court went, no, we're kiboshing the whole idea. Unbelievable that that the Supreme Court would do that. Well, the number of times too that the government, the federal government, has made changes to the interprovincial laws, but then just kicked the can down the road to the provinces, and there's been so little movement in the provincial. And Alberta said, "We want nothing to do with this." Yeah, no, I don't. We don't care about any agreement or any bill. We're going to do our own game. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, and that's that's the right thing to do. I think it's time that we all just open it up and see what happens. I just want to let your listeners in Ontario especially the ones who make the decisions know that they can get a hold of uh, Matt Thurlwell, uh, the vent managing partner at Vintage West Wine and Spirits. Matt Thurlwell, good guy. And he will he will have a dialogue with um, with Ontario on a, in any capacity. Matt, I would love to see more BC wine on the shelves here, though. And it's not even a protectionist thing. I mean, it's the thing where it's the other thing. Once you get into this, is that a Chardonnay? That is a I Chardonnay. There's the white wine that's coming in the spring. And what is the white wine? The white wine is a Q&A, RMV, Roussan, Marsan, oh. Viognier. Oh, thank God. I thought, 58%, 58% Roussan, 34% Marsan, 8% Viognier. And See, uh, Andre, Andre saw the uh, Burgundy bottle, and I think he wet himself just a little. And if you had said Chardonnay, oh, no, 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 no. he would have completed the wedding. Michael, Michael, Marsan, Roussan is my second guilty pleasure just because I find it sort of Chardonnay adjacent. Should we give you a few minutes to clean your pants up? But it lean it leans it leans into the stuff about Chardonnay that like what I like my Chardonnay to taste like pineapples and mango with an accent of spice. The thing I like about Marsan and Roussan is it leans more into the spice and the austerity and the minerals. So I'm looking forward to to tasting that. Probably we'll have to uh like smuggle it, I think, Michael. I don't know. Olivia might be able to 
hook us up. Uh, Olivia, speaking of Olivia, send your message again. It went by too quickly. I didn't read it on the screen. Oh, Michael, uh, I, it's Michael, just Michael. I read your newsletter. I get your newsletter. I've gotten it for years. Thank oh, you very wow. much. Uh, so sorry, just a note from Olivia. Uh, before I forget to mention zero rush. Just a quick reminder before the wrap. Please feel free to re-mention the Q&A 2020 Red Blend is Okanagan's newest premium red wine. It is available <laughs> through QA.wine for $50, and it ships Canada-wide. That was, that was very okay, now, radio. Now very comes radio. the truth, guys. Uh, you've, been, you've been sipping. Um, uh, first of all, uh, uh, it's, it's a first taste, and I, I would never put anybody on the spot, but I, I, we need feedback. We're looking for feedback. Um, just some thoughts. This fits exactly what I said earlier, the statement I made about my perception and I think what a lot of Ontario market perception of BC wine is where it straddles that line of old world and new world sensibilities. The nose is pretty austere. It does have some very dark, like almost like black smoke notes to it, um, which I'm not going to lie, made me a little concerned when you talked about the smoke during the 2020 year. The moment it hits your mouth, though, it screams New World. It is very fruity on the palate. I hate the fact that, like, just the nature of wine writing and these type of interviews, you know, I didn't have a chance to treat this wine the way I would if I would serve it with friends or family. This sure. needs some decanting if you're going to open this right now. Sure. I imagine those black smoke notes to mellow and mesh nicely with the fruit notes. Yeah. And I do think that this will lean more towards like a really well-made bottle of Bordeaux if you were to serve it blind to some people. Is it, uh, I'm happy. It's a good first step. How about you, Michael? It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I got the two D's in my head. And anyway, it's a dense uh, and it's really delicious. Um, so uh, the, the, the wine to me, as Andre said, had a lot of that dark fruit, but you mentioned also that this thing's going to age. And uh, I think we've confirmed, committed infanticide here by opening it now which is uh, a, a crime in one part but it's yeah. nice that i get to leave it on my counter for a while yeah but the tannins are short up, try it again tomorrow but there's a silkiness to that that's it like as well like the, the tannin the tannins are short I, michael you did say something i have tasted it and and put it back in the fridge and the next day it, it was a better uh, bottle of wine yeah it, was a I, I, it opened up yeah, I, I believe that's definitely uh, going to happen here. And I love the fact that you said put it in the fridge because I do wine tours and talk, we, uh, Andre and I talk to people. And I'm sure if we tell them to put a bottle of red wine in the fridge, people lose their minds. It's unbelievable how many people go, well, you're putting a red wine in the fridge? Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're like, yeah, put it in the fridge. Treat it like milk. Like, slow it down. I mean, that's it. I, I don't mean that, but I, I have had people ask, ask the question. And, and this is one of these things where... Um, the audience of this podcast is definitely more wine educated, but um, like as long as you're not going to extremes, you're not letting your wine freeze, you're not letting your wine cook. If you open a bottle, like if you over chill it, you're not going to damage it by bringing it up to room temperature or vice versa. Like keeping a, a bottle of red wine in the fridge will let it keep longer if you want to enjoy it over a couple of days. And there's nothing wrong with pouring your glass, letting it warm up to the temperature you want to drink it at and enjoying it that way. But it is fun to watch it warm up as well, right? Like you I'll watch the the condensation. Yeah. yeah, drink it while it's really cold, and then find out you know that perfect temperature. And it's amazing how many people will tell you that they like a little bit of chill on a red after they've done something like that. 
than the you know seventy five degrees that they serve it to you in a in a restaurant that's been sitting a bottle's been sitting by the kitchen and you're like, well, I don't really get much anything out of that wine. All right, here's here's a question I have for you. That's a, a branding and marketing question, <laughs> Terry David. You've um you've priced this at fifty dollars a bottle. Yeah, this is clearly a Van de Gerd, like it's a, a wine that's designed to spend some time in a cellar. Yeah. Um, you have a really great celebrity name attached to it. Jason Priestley's a, a name that's well known and beloved by Canadians. Why make this so accessible in pricing when there are certain other wineries in BC that are more than happy to tout high scores, tout their pedigree, and charge a we lot never, more? We never had that discussion. We didn't want to go there. We we uh, we were we were trying to be honest with it. The honest assessment. We said, what about seventy? What about what about forty five? What about forty? Whatever. Um, we we arrived at fifty because we looked at at the field and the the choices to to be had, and and we felt that fifty was exactly where it should be, right there. And and there was a lot of work went into it, so that that has to be taken into a, account as well. And interestingly, I just got a shot from um, Metro Liquor in Kelowna, and they have it priced at forty six ninety five. So were it were it to find its way to a shelf. In Ontario, what what would the price be on this bottle? Do you think probably seventy five? Get out! No, I mean, I, I mean, I, we're I gonna pay Andrea, in the sixty to seventy dollar range. Oh, for sure. Oh, like uh, Bur- Burrowing Owl that sells their wines for thirty five dollars for their upper tier Cab Franc at the winery. That's a that's a sixty dollar bottle in Ontario. Okay. Uh, by the way, this I just got this uh, email came in from uh, Michael Mosney. Uh, here's a quick summary of our media presence since the launch, which is only a couple of weeks ago. Globe and Mail, uh, January the 7th, wine column. Kelowna now, Victoria now, Kamloops, Penticton, Prince George, Vernon, Canada today, USA today, uh, uh, Flipboard, My Van City, My Van Wine, Barb Wild, BC Wine Trends. So, And now two guys wine... talking wine. <laughs> By the way, we only have, we only have 670 cases. That's not bad. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's a fair bit. Uh, and of the white, we have 330. And how much is that one going to be? Oh, do, uh, we haven't. I don't know. I didn't ask. I, I need a bottle of it. That's all I know. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> Again, I say Olivia can can hook us up. Olivia, I know you're not talking on this one, but uh, you know, shoot <laughs> us a message on the on the little board there. Yeah. Well, I very much appreciate you uh, taking the time to taste through the wine with us. Talk a little bit about the frustrations we continue to face as consumers in Ontario versus BC. Uh, is there anything you want to add about this wine that we maybe didn't get a chance to talk to to talk about? Um, we we I here's the deal. Any there's three of us. Any one of us can step forward and say, "Why don't we do this?" And then we have a discussion about it. It's anything is possible. We, we're not going to go crazy. We're we're smart enough to know that there's just enough room. And, and you should you should count your blessings if you sell six hundred seventy cases or three hundred thirty of the white, and and then and then make your decision and, and decide what you want to do because it's a tough go because it's Michael that has to grow it. The interesting thing about by the way, I'll just add that he plays classical music to all of his vineyards, not to himself, to the vineyard. Now, I've been around music all my life, and I I told him I said you know that's a little just a touch of strange however what are you playing oh mozart beethoven bach all the all the classics anyway uh, i didn't ask him what he played for uh, these particular uh, uh, vineyards but uh, next time around we'll 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 add that as part of the marketing plan other than I, that 
we're going we're gonna to make another one next year and be better at it. We're going to make another Marcin Roussin, Viognier, and be better at it. I love I, the I, whole I, idea. I've been of the it. that uh, that play music to the barrels. So it, what's the difference between playing it to the vines and playing it for the barrels, I guess? I've always been curious about what would happen if you played like Metallica, Load, or Reload to uh, to the barrels. You, you, play, you, no, they you play, play Blind Andre, give it a shot. They play uh, Metallica in the cellars, man, all the cellar rats. That's what they play in there when there's no one around. Why not? There's no one to bother. You can blast it to your heart's content. I wonder. I wonder if anyone's quantitated what effect that has on the barrels, though. Time to get time to move on it, Andre. You're All making right. wine. Uh, I will say, by the way, that you can find the uh, uh, because you hadn't asked, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Mulligan Stew is my website, MulliganStew.ca, and that's where Tasting Room Radio is. That's where the, my podcast is, and that's where. Um, um, uh, uh, Mulligan Stew Radio on CKUA is had. It's all there. MulliganStew.ca. Okay, where does Mulligan Stew come from? It comes from me, my house, my studio right here in Mill Bay. Oh, but the radio network CKUA, and it's donor supported, and uh, they're about to celebrate their hundredth year on air. The sixteen transmitters. It's all of Alberta. That's it's fantastic. <laughs> that is amazing. And the show in front of me for those last 27 years is Holger Peterson's original blues show, Natural Blues. And he's been doing that show for over 50 years. And everybody that sits in the chair is a specialist at what they're playing. So every the jazz show is a jazz show. The country show is a country show. Um, uh, Leroy Stagger does a, a roots show on Saturday morning. It's fantastic. All right, so mulliganstew.ca, and one last shout-out to check out the Q&A 2020 Red Blend. Go to, what is it, qa.wine. Actually, not Q&A. It's www.qa.wine. And would you would you ship to Ontario? Yeah, it says ship its nationwide. Didn't you paying attention to earlier, Michael? I read the whole thing. I was just trying to give it another plug, Andre, but obviously you wouldn't let that one pass. Wee, wee, wee. Wee, wee, wee. Michael, yeah, you're officially no longer the most famous person we have on this podcast. I didn't think I was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I, I thought somehow your uh, your persona would have come through better off that comment. But wasn't that? Well, I, I mean, we, we just it's it's hard to uh, to be. Uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, egotistical, or let your ego really go when you when you actually read through what uh, what Terry uh, has done. Um, like I went through his IMDB page and yeah. I, I have one as well, but I have one credit to my name and he's got like just, 90? I just kept scrolling page yeah, after page 90. after page. The man has a Wikipedia page that goes page after page after page. Like a Canadian legend and, a, and an icon for all of us who grew up in the, in the eighties, um, just to start with. Uh, I didn't even get into the good rockin' tonight part of his uh, of his uh, career, which who knows if he really wants to even talk about that. I mean, I mean that certainly wasn't the. I mean, that's the thing about having someone like that on the podcast, though, right? Is like we don't need to dwell on his importance to the Canadian pop culture zeitgeist because we were there just to talk about wine, and um, we did com- open this wine way too early. 
Yep. Uh, I'm going to actually take this right downstairs and put it in the fridge since we're actually recording this podcast a little earlier than we usually do. It's a little bit early for a glass of wine on a weekday. Um, I, I, I'm going to put the cork in and throw in the fridge and, and have a, another glass tonight. Uh, watch it warm up a little, watch it cool down and then warm up warm a little. back up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this. And I mean, it was the question that I, I asked earlier too, is I think for $50 a bottle, this is right where it needs to be price wise. It will be upsetting once it does, um, cross go the through border. the LCBO, like how much they're going to charge for it. Yeah, I think it'll be a uh, it'll be a crime to see what the LCBO does to it. Uh, it's definitely not going to be forty six dollars a bottle like it was in uh, in one of the BC stores that uh, Terry had mentioned. Uh, I I think we are probably looking at about sixty to sixty five dollars for the bottle at least. Um, so if you are listening to this podcast and and you did like uh, either one of our tasting notes, and they do ship to Ontario. Uh, be a good time to get it because it's you know we're still Canadian dollars right they're fifty bucks and, and we didn't ask what shipping charge was but I'm sure that uh, like I mean you know the LCBO's markup is definitely going to take care of that. I'm taking a look right now. You got to buy a minimum of two bottles at once and going to check out. Anyways, I'm Andre Peru from AndreWineReview.ca. <laughs> I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Andre, a pleasure to uh, see you in the middle of the afternoon. We did get the cameras on for this one. There will be no video um, for the podcast. uh, And thank God for that. And this is our last podcast of the year. Yes. So uh, Merry Christmas to you. But I think Christmas has passed. Christmas has passed. Happy New Year. Oh, shipping's 15 bucks. We were recording this before Christmas, but it's coming out after Christmas. Yes, uh, that's right. That's exactly and I, and I do have a gift for you, so the next time I see you, I actually did get you something this year. Uh, and I, it's not the usual kick in the ass. I got you something this year as well, and it's not a bag of dicks like I got you a couple of years ago. <laughs> so, see, we're getting better, I, I guess. guess. Maybe maybe what we should do uh, in the new year, once uh, once we're back, I think you're, you're yes, having we, a baby. Um, we will be taking a little bit of time off. We don't know how long it will be. Um, Anya's due date is December 31st, and we'll see when the baby arrives. And I've got some changes happening with my um, with my day job as well that have been great. We're, we're looking at taking the month of January off, and we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe not uh, the whole month. We'll see how things go. Good content keeps falling into our laps. But uh, but what what maybe one of the shows should be the unwrapping of the gift. Oh, God. Okay, we'll talk soon. All right, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.